podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast, Friday, December 17th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or whatever it is that you're geo-blocked from in your region. Liberty Shield will allow you to access it and keep your data safe using the Internet's number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. To use the code EPL599 at checkout, you get your first month for one quid. One quid, try it before you buy it. $6.99 thereafter, but there is no contract. Instant download to your devices and get using straight away. LibertyShield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use EPL10 on the EPL shop, Red10 on the Anfield shop, and you will get 10% off at checkout. Loads of good merch there. Last-minute Christmas presents, folks. This is the place to go and get them. Right, two games last night in the Premier League because we had yet another cancellation. Chelsea won, Everton won. This is an embarrassing result for Chelsea. Chelsea had 81% of the ball, 23 shots, 10 on target, and somehow only managed to score one goal against an Everton team which which reads as follows. Pickford, a back five of John Joe Kenny, who's not really kicked the ball this season, Ben Godfrey playing as a wing-back despite being a centre-back. Mason Holgate, Michael Keane and Jared Branthwaite as the back three. Iwobi and Gordon as the wide players. Decoure and Gomes as the central midfielders. And Sims up front on his own making his Everton debut. On the bench, now bear in mind clubs are allowed to name nine substitutes. Everton could name... Eight. Alan, Begovic, Coleman, Gabaman, Lonergan, Dobbin, and Onyanga. So, two youngsters, Dobbin and Onyanga. Two players that were not fully fit, Alan and Coleman. Gabaman, who's barely played in three years. And two goalkeepers. That is how ravaged Everton are with injuries and COVID and different things. The starting 11 doesn't resemble their normal starting 11. And the bench, they can't fill the full complement and they've got two goalkeepers on there. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Now, admittedly, 
Chelsea have two goalkeepers on their bench as well. They're missing some players. But they're starting 11. Mendy, Aspilicueta, Silva, Rudiger, James, Loftus-Cheek, Jorginho, Alonso, Mount, Zayic and Pulisic. That's six of the team that won the Champions League last year. A seventh, sorry, that's seven of the team that won the Champions League. Antonio uh, Angolo Conte is on the bench. There's only three of their Champions League winning team not playing last night. Chelsea fans would like you to think they've got some massive injury crisis. If that team can't win against the Everton team they faced last night, Chelsea have bigger problems. Mason Mount did put them one up on 70. Now, he'd missed a couple of chances. Reese James missed a couple of great chances as well. I thought Pickford made a couple of good saves. But Mount makes it one on 70. Tidally taken goal, no doubt about it. That lead lasted only four minutes. Great cross from, from Anthony Gordon on a set piece. And Jared Branthwaite with a great finish for a young centre-back popping up at the back post to give Mendy no chance at all. That is a shocker of a result for, for Chelsea. But they have been in pretty poor form of late. I think they've won two of their last seven, three of their last seven, maybe. Starting to drop points on a more consistent basis. They're now four points behind City, three behind Liverpool, and they have the worst goal difference of the group. For Everton, it's a great point. Everton fans were in near meltdown before the game when they saw the team sheet, uh, demanding to know where Ron, Rondon and Cenk Tucson were, having disparaged the same two players all season long, and in Tucson's case, much longer than that. Uh, they were insisting that Benitez was hiding these players or something. But it is a good point for Everton, and I think everybody's a bit more cheered up today. They have major injury issues, we know this. They're going to start getting some players back. It looks like they're about to do their first bit of business for January. Vitaly Michalenko, the young Dinamo Kiev and Ukraine left back, allegedly having his medical for Everton today ahead of a £20 million January move. A very, very good defender. He's a very exciting player. Everton should be really happy to be getting him. Now, it may well mean that Luka Dinia is on his way out. Luka Dinia is a good left-back. There's no doubt about it. Is he a little bit overrated? Yeah, probably. But he's still, from, for my money, one of the five best left-backs in the league. Chelsea could do with a left-back with Chilwell out. City have been talking about wanting a left-back, even though Canseo plays there and has been the best left-back in Europe this season. If Everton can get a big fee from either of those clubs for Luka Dina and buy Michaelenko and maybe turn whatever's left into another centre-back or another help in midfield or a help, some help up front, then it's probably good business long-term. I mean, Michaelenko fits better with the timeline of Ben Godfrey, of Damari Gray, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, that next era of Everton, Michaelenko's a better fit. Dinia is in his peak years, and he will start to decline in a year or two while those players are starting to enter their peak. So I can see the logic here. 
it's obviously tough. Everton fans loved Luca Dina, and and I can understand why he has been good for them. But he wasn't playing well before he got dropped. He was blaming it on Benitez. Benitez was blaming it on him, and there was a big falling out, and that's why he looks like he may no longer be an Everton player once the January window closes. I like the signing of Michael Engel. I have to say, I do like the signing of Michael Engel. Um, and at that kind of price, yeah, I do think it's it's good value. Their bigger need is a right back. I think everybody's aware of that, including Rafa. So keep an eye on Everton potentially going and getting themselves a right back in this window as well. But Michael Anko at 22 represents a good signing for for Everton Football Club. Uh, the other game last night, Liverpool 3, Newcastle 1, a fairly straightforward win for the Reds. They did go one down, John Joe Shelby capitalising on a mistake by Thiago Alcantara, but it was fairly straightforward for Liverpool from there. Jota on 21, Salah on 25, Alexander-Arnold on 87. Uh, Newcastle fans want you to think that they're hard done by, that there's a conspiracy against them. There's not, lads. These are just terrible. That's what it comes down to. You're just a really bad football team. You got beaten by a much better football team. Last night's game wasn't close. Liverpool had 75% of the ball. They had 23 shots, 8 on target. You had 5 shots, 3 on target. Liverpool gifted you 2 of those. The XG was 2.9 for Liverpool, 0.2 for Newcastle. That's what we call a padlet. There was some controversial moments. Or was there? I think there was one controversial moment in the entire game. To work backwards, Newcastle fans want to complain about Mike Dean leaving Dubravka unsighted on Trent's goal. No, he didn't. From the still shot that you're showing around, maybe. As the ball was struck, John Joe Shelby is the one leaving Dubravka unsighted. Dubravka wasn't saving that shot regardless. You could have put five goalkeepers in there. You could have taken all the defenders out of the way. That is finding its way into the net. Before that, Trent made a perfect tackle on Ryan Fraser on the edge of the box. Won the ball cleanly. No issue there. It's never a penalty. Not in a million years. No, James Madison shouldn't have had a penalty at the weekend either. But James Madison getting a penalty for diving does not immediately entitle you to a penalty for a perfectly good tackle by Trent. No West Ham fans, Trent getting away, getting away, quote-unquote, with that challenge doesn't have anything to do with the Soufal challenge against Lacazette. You were wronged, Newcastle were not. There is no big six conspiracy here. You got screwed. I said that yesterday. It's a great tackle by Vladimir Soufal. He wins the ball cleanly. Yes, his follow-through makes contact with Lacazette. No, it's not a penalty. No, it's not a red card. You didn't play very well anyway and likely lose the game. But there's no correlation between that game, the game at any of the games the weekend, the Wolves-Man City one or the Newcastle Leicester game and last night's game. They're all different referees. 
Newcastle fans want to tell you today Mike Dean's a Liverpool fan. Google Mike Dean Tranmere. Just Google the words Mike Dean Tranmere. That man couldn't be any less of a Liverpool fan if he tried. They want you to think his two sons are season ticket holders in Anfield. Mike Dean doesn't have any sons. Mike Dean's got two daughters. Neither of them are season ticket holders at Anfield. Conspiracy theories are always funny. Always, always funny. There was, I will admit, some controversy over the first Liverpool goal, the Jota goal. As the corner is taken, Kanate jumps. Three Newcastle players challenge him. Shar has an awkward landing as he falls and lands flat on his back. Hayden sort of got sandwiched in between the two other players. One was Kanate. I think the other one was Jamal Lachelle's. He does not get a head injury. There's no head injury involved here. And he goes down in stages. He turns and has a look for the ball and then goes down. He's looking to get the game stopped. The physios come on and they check on him. And they let him play on. Should the game have been stopped? Yeah, possibly. I don't believe for one second that Isaac Hayden had a head injury. But if Newcastle had made enough of a fuss about it at the time, if they demanded the referee's attention to it, he would have stopped the game. They didn't. They played on. So yes, you can rightly be aggrieved at that one, but you should be aggrieved at your own players for not calling the referee's attention to what was going on. You could always just defend a little bit better as well. Eddie Howe came out after the game and said that Hayden was groggy for five minutes after the after the incident. Well, if that's the case, why was he allowed to continue playing? We have concussion protocols now. Are you telling me that your physios and you as the manager ignored those concussion protocols? If Isaac Hayden had any type of head injury, any potential concussion, he can't play at the weekend. Concussion protocols dictate that. So either you're lying, Mr. Howe, or Isaac Hayden has lied to you after the game or at half time. Because either he told the physios at the time he felt groggy and you and they ignored it. And then he told you afterwards, in which case he's lying. Or he's never said it, and you're lying. Eddie Howe's a strange guy. Maybe he should coach his team a little bit better, set his team up a little bit better defensively, and you wouldn't have such problems. There is no conspiracy against Newcastle United. You're second bottom in the league because your defence is terrible, you don't score enough goals, and you've won one game all season. You average over two goals conceded every single game. Average. You basically start every game 2-0 down. That's nothing to do with referees or anything else. That's to do with your own ineptitude. 
that comes down to a coaching failure that dates pre-Eddie Howe. But Eddie Howe hasn't fixed it. Eddie Howe hasn't made Newcastle better defensively. He's compounded much of the problem. His insistence on playing John Joe Shelby as a holding midfielder on sticking with Jamal Lachelle's this is why you're losing games. Last night was Eddie Howe's sixth game in charge of Newcastle. Conceded three against Liverpool. Four against Leicester. One, uh, none against Burnley. Kept a clean sheet. Congratulations. Conceded one to Norwich. Two to Arsenal. And three there to Brentford. So that's five, six... 10, 13 goals in six games, over two a game. Defence hasn't improved a single bit under Eddie Howe. You are averaging for the season just over a goal a game. Under Eddie Howe, you've got three, four, five, six. Better goal a game. You're not better, you're not worse. You're just the same as you were before Eddie Howe took over. The only thing he's done is he won one game. Steve Bruce didn't manage any. And Graham Jones didn't manage any as caretaker. Liverpool are second in the Premier League. One point behind Manchester City. Fun fact. If you only counted goals scored by Mo Salah and nobody else, Liverpool would be third in the league ahead of Arsenal on goal difference. The gulf is strong here. Uh, Newcastle, like I say, second from bottom. Things not looking very promising. Manchester City at home on Sunday. Then Manchester United away on the 27th. Sorry, no, Manchester United at home on the 27th. Then Everton away. They'll have Calvert-Lewin back. Then Southampton away. Then you get the break for the FA Cup. You best have a new look defence for Watford on January 15th. And while your January and February don't look too bad, remember, Watford and Leeds will be fighting against relegation. They're going to give absolutely everything. Everton will have everybody back and have ambitions to be a top-half team. Villa, they want to finish in the European spots. Then you get West Ham, then you get Brentford. I think Newcastle could be done for. Um, right, we will come back to games. There are five this weekend. Five have been called off. Guy is with me, so we'll run through the five games that take place this weekend after our break. But before the break, I am going to answer a question from yesterday from AMK2889. He said, your all-time 11 never to win a European Cup and your versus your all-time 11 never to win a Champions League. Players selected have to have played for a team competing in the respective competition. Oh. So I've picked some players that I don't think did compete in it. I think there's at least two of mine didn't play. 
I'm going to do it anyway because I've spent some time putting this together and um, I- I'm not going to redo it at this point. So my European Cup 11, I've got Dino Zoff in goal, one of the great goalkeepers of all time. Giuseppe Bergami at right back, one of the best defenders I've ever seen. Spent his career at Inter Milan, was absolutely outstanding. Claudio Gentile, played for Juventus for years, wonderful defender. Great in the tackle, could play fullback, could play centre-back. I've got him at centre-back. He went on to play for Fiorentina and Piacenza later in his career. He did win a World Cup, so he made up for his lack of European Cup. He also won a UEFA Cup, a Cup Winners Cup, and six Serie A titles. A tremendous player, one of the greatest defenders of all time. Uh, next to him, I've got Daniel Passarella, the legendary Argentine, Argentine centre-back. He won two World Cups. And while playing for River Plate, he won seven uh, Argentine championships. He spent four years in Europe with Fiorentina and then two more with Internationale. So six years in Europe altogether, which is why I included him. But I I missed the bit about the um, not playing in the tournament. But he played in Europe, so I'm counting him anyway. Uh, I've got Andreas Bremer at left back. Again, World Cup winner, scored the winning penalty in the 1990 World Cup. Great player for Inter and for Germany. I've got Zico in my midfield and John Barnes. I've got them as my wide players roaming and doing whatever they want. Uh, Zico, obviously one of the greatest players of all time. Now, he did only play in Europe for two years, and it was for Udinese. So, I... I can see why that one might not be accepted, but it is what it is. Uh, my two central midfielders have got Brian Robson, I think the second best British central midfielder and the best English central midfielder of all time, next to Lothar Mateus. Uh, probably a top 20 player ever. I've got Diego Maradona as my number 10. For me, the best player that's ever lived. And I went with Butragueño up front. A legend at Real Madrid. An outstanding player for them in the 80s and into the 90s. Really good goal scorer. Great movement. Very intelligent player. Nicknamed the Vulture. Tremendous player. Uh, so I've got him. So that is my European Cup 11. Zoff, Bergami, Gentile, Passarella, Brema, Zico, Robson. Matthias, Barnes, Maradona, and Butragueño. Uh, my Champions League 11. I've got Gigi Buffon in goal. I think he's the best goalkeeper that's ever lived. And I think he came so close to winning the competition a couple of times, but never was able to complete the set. It's the one thing that escaped him through his career. In defence, I have got Lillian Turan at right back. I fudged this a little bit because I had to put Cialini at left back because I couldn't think of a great left back that hadn't won it and I wanted Cialini in the team. So I've got Turan and Cialini as my fullbacks. I've got Cannavaro and Godin as my centre backs. Very happy with that defence. In midfield, um, I've got Patrick Vieira. Now, he was at Inter 
the season they won the European Cup, but he left in the January transfer window, and I don't believe he got a Champions League winner's medal. So I haven't. I've, I've included him in this team. Uh, next to him, I've got Sesk. I was convinced Sesk had won one, but he played for Barca between Pep's two and the 1-1 one, one under Louis, uh, Louis Enrique. So he didn't win one. So I've got Sesk. In the wide roles, I've got Kevin De Bruyne. And he may well still win one, but he hasn't won one yet. I've got him. And on the other side, I've got Pavel Nedved, who was the best player in the world in 03, suspended for the final. And Juventus ended up losing on penalties to Real Madrid in probably the most boring European Cup final ever. Played at Old Trafford. Um, Milan. Milan were probably better on the day and probably deserved to win it. But if Nedved had played, I think Juventus win that final. And up front, I've got the real Ronaldo and Roberto Baggio. I did have Dennis Burkamp. Dropped him out for Baggio. Would accept Romario. Would accept Stoichkov. But, you know, that is what it is. Uh, so that's that. And lastly, before we take our break, we will run through the gossip. Manchester United are interested in Chelsea's Antonio Rudiger. So says Christian Folk. So that's one for the bin. Um, Rudiger, who is out of contract in the summer, is planning to quit Chelsea after he was offered less than the 140000 a week. Mason Mount has been offered. Deciding you deal. Well, Mason Mount's a better player and should earn more money than Rudiger. It doesn't matter if Rudiger is older. Uh, Mount is the future of the club and Rudiger is, well, vastly overrated. But that is from Football Insider. So again, put that one in the bin. With Rudiger and Andreas Christensen nearing the end of their contracts at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea could turn their attention to Nicholas Sula and Jules Kunde. So obviously they wanted Kunde in the summer. Nicolas Sula, I wouldn't touch with a barge pole at this point. Um, neither Manchester United nor Paris Saint-Germain have opened talks over Barcelona's Frankie de Jong, according to Spufrizio Romano. Uh, Borussia Dortmund and Norway striker Erling Haaland has warned Barcelona he won't consider a move to the new Camp unless they're playing Champions League football next year. Uh, as things stand... Barca, I believe, look comfortable in mid-table. Uh, eighth. Eighth spot. Now, they do have a game in hand. If they win that game in hand, they would go sixth. Potentially five points off the top four. Um, they don't look like a team who's going to qualify for the Champions League, let me say it like that. But I can also inform Barcelona that you have no money and you can't afford to buy Erling Haaland anyway, so don't even worry about it. Uh, Manchester United have a ready-made replacement if Anthony Martial leaves the club, as Anthony Alanga is set to sign a new deal after impressing Ralph Ranić. Alanga is a super talented young player, a Swedish international, I think, already. Sweden under 21 international. Big, big future ahead of him. He's been at United now since 2014. Definitely see him having some sort of a role at United, probably as a squad player. They've got a lot of good wide players there, but 
I do think he's got a bright future. He's not a ready-made replacement for Anthony Martial, but I don't know if you need a replacement for Martial. What's he done for you in the last 18 months? Roma boss Jose Mourinho is set to approach former club Chelsea with an offer for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek would do very well in, in Syria. I, I think he'd do very, very well there. Arsenal are interested in Barcelona's Brazilian midfielder Arthur Melo, as well as the Italian-sized 21-year-old Swedish winger Dejan Kulisewski. Arthur would be a great signing for Arsenal. He would actually, he's exactly what they need. Someone to dictate and control the game in the middle of the park. Now, I don't know what the price would be on him, but Arthur is a very good player. A little bit undersized, but really talented on the ball. Sees the game very, very well. I think, I think he'd do quite well, to be honest. If he joined Arsenal. Him and. Thomas Partey in midfield. Could be interesting. Now. From a defensive point of view. He's he's not great. Um, but you know. You, you might just have to live with that. Uh, Everton are interested in signing. Vitaly Michalenko. That's according to Liverpool Echo. It looks like that deal is getting close to done. Uh, Manchester United have identified Ilian Melier as the best young keeper in England. But when they sent goalkeeping scout Tony Cotton to watch the 21-year-old, he conceded seven goals at Manchester City. Is he the best young keeper in England? He probably is. He probably is the best young goalkeeper in England right now. Everton are among a number of Premier League clubs chasing Metz's French right-back Fabian Contenze, don't know a whole lot about him, I have to be honest. Haven't watched Mets play much this season. Um, joined them from Lons, he's been there a couple, couple of years. Bit of a journeyman career, he's on his fourth club already. Don't know much about him, being completely honest. But they do need a right back, and any right back will help. Uh, former Arsenal midfielder Emmanuel Frimpong has urged the club to sell Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang after they were after he was stripped of the captaincy. Frimpong. God, I haven't heard of him or thought about him in years. What a strange, strange guy he is. The The most notable thing about him was that he was completely reckless in his tackling. And wasn't his cousin some some rapper? Um, oh, I can't think. The Leave It guy. And there was a song with Stay... Stay Dench or Get Frimponged. That was it. Yes. That is the most notable thing about Emmanuel Frimpong, whose pinned tweet <laughs> sell Xhaka and get me on a free. Outstanding. 46,000 likes, I'll point out. Fair play. Fair play. 
very clear he loves Arsenal Football Club. But, yeah, not very good at the football himself. Um, anyway, we'll move on. Monaco Sporting Director Paul Mitchell has warned Manchester United and Chelsea that Arlen Chimeni will not come on the cheap. So rumours are, having been available for £35 million last summer, he will cost £65 million this coming summer if anyone wants him. Newcastle's scouting department are keeping a keen eye on the championship with Luton Town's 23-year-old English striker Elijah Adebayo on their radar. So they brought him in from Walsall uh, at the end of last January's transfer window. Uh, he's done really well. Last season, he had five goals in 18 games. This season, he's got 10 in 20. So he is doing well there. I'm not sure he's the type of player that will help uh, Newcastle, personally. Um, but, you know, he's doing very well there. That is a hell of a name. I'm not going to insult him or his family by attempting to pronounce his name. But if anyone would like to go on Elijah Adebayo's Wikipedia page, he has seven parts to his name. He's Nigerian. of Nigerian descent. He was born in England, but his, his parents are Nigerian. And he has got an absolutely magnificent name here. Uh, and if anyone would like to tell me how I could say that phonetically, uh, that would be wonderful. But yeah, I, I won't insult the poor man's family by attempting to pronounce that. Um, that's the gossip. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, the boy drinkles with me and we will get through this weekend's Premier League fixtures. Only the five and some of them may even be in doubt. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, I am joined by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good. How are you, Dave? I'm not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, a nice, quick Premier League weekend preview this weekend with only five games on the slate and at least one of them, uh, Liverpool-Tottenham, in doubt at the moment. So, uh, let's get started with Saturday. We'll run through these nice and quickly. Yeah, we start off with a three o'clock kickoff, so nothing on TV on the uh, on the half twelve spot. The Claret and Blue derby, Gerard's Villa against Dyche's Burnley. Um, Villa seemed to bounce back quite well after the uh, Liverpool game. Played quite well, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, they did to their credit, and it's four wins from six for Gerard. Now they do have some COVID issues: El Ghazi, Jed Steer, Morgan Sanson, and Keenan Davies. All with COVID. El Ghazi and Sanson are the two that would be squad players. But no starters, thankfully enough, ruled out. Bert Traore is still out. Nakamba is out. He might need surgery, which isn't great. And Leon Bailey. They're not expecting any of them back till January. Emi Buendia has a knock, but they're looking at having him this weekend. And Gerard says Ashley, Ashley Young is 50-50. 
uh, he'll have a late fitness test on his injury. So some some issues there for Villa. Burnley, no Dale Stevens, no Connor Roberts, no Ashley Barnes, but they're hoping that Max Cornet or Cornet will be back in time for this one. At Villa Park, you'd have to fancy Villa. They're on a good run. They're 10th in the table. Burnley are 18th. Now, Burnley have been much tougher to beat of late. I think it's one defeat in their last seven Premier League games. Um, Newcastle beat them. They drew with West Ham, Wolves, Palace, Chelsea. They beat Brentford, drew with Southampton, and then they lost to City. Prior to that, they'd drawn with Norwich and with Leicester. So to be fair, they've only lost twice since the defeat to Arsenal on the 18th of September, which is a fair run. It's just that they've only managed to win one of those games. Uh, which isn't a fair run. They're struggling to score goals. Defensively, they have been pretty good, but they're heavily reliant on on Cornette to score goals. Um, Chris Wood could really do with stepping his game up here. I think he's the type that will look to drag Tyron Mings into a scrap, and it just depends on how Mings reacts. But you do have to favour Villa in this one. I'll go with a 2-1 Aston Villa victory. Yeah, and the thing about Villa is that the young talent coming through. I mean, uh, Jacob Ramsey scoring the other day, Chuck Weber mm. getting an assist. be interesting to see if they take the step. I mean, Ramsey is taking the step, but Chuck Wemmick is obviously very highly thought of. He's linked with, well, all the big clubs around the world at the minute, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, everybody wants him. And um, it's a big, big task for Villa. I think they need to try and keep hold of these young players. Those players are going to be your future. And, I mean, wouldn't it be brilliant for Villa if at some point Ramsey, his brother, who's meant to be even more talented, Chuck Wemmicke, there's a couple of others there, uh, Louis Barry, the young attacker. There's a lot of really talented young players. Wouldn't it be ideal for Villa if they could have three or four of them starting every single game. That's got to be the dream for most clubs. And with the money they have behind that, they'll be able to supplement that with, you know, more players like Esri Konza and Ollie Watkins and players like that. So, yeah, I think it's exciting times for Villa. It really, really is. And even with their injury problems, they're able to just bring through some of these very, very talented youngsters. And Gerard doesn't seem to have too much of an issue throwing them in. Absolutely, absolutely. And you'd probably, if you're a midfielder, you probably want to learn off Gerard. <laughs> um, mo- moving on, and this one is on telly, so this goes straight to the half five kickoff. Uh, Dave, I imagine a few minutes of this is just going to be reeling off Leeds' injured and missing list, but they are playing Arsenal at home. Um, yeah, midweek didn't go well for Leeds. No, it did not. No, it did not. Just to get the Arsenal players missing out of the way first because it'll be quick. Kalasanak, he wouldn't be playing anyway. Aubameyang, they've looked a little bit better without him. He's probably still suspended. Martinelli could be missing. He would be a big one to lose. He was really good in midweek. And Leno, but he wouldn't play anyway because Ramsdale's the first choice. 
I, I don't understand what God's leads have upset here. Clearly, some sort of deal was made with satanic forces last year, and they've been ravaged, absolutely ravaged. This is shocking. So Firpo is suspended, uh, five yellow cards. Robin Cock, they hope to have back. So that's good news. That's really good news. They're hoping to have Robin Cock back. And that's where the good news ends. Liam Cooper is out. Calvin Phillips is out. Patrick Bamford is out. Rodrigo is out. Pascal Struyck is out. Daniel James is out. And Jamie Shackleton is out. And a few of them have already been ruled out till the, till the new year. That's not good at all. I mean, I don't even know what their starting 11 is going to be this weekend. But we saw what happened in midweek. Now, Arsenal won't put seven past them. But this could be another heavy defeat for Leeds. They are at home, so they do have you know that little bit of home advantage. But still, I, I don't know how Leeds get anything from this game. They're going to need Rafinha to have the game of his life and Diego Lorienti to do the same at the other end and hope that that's enough to hold them together. But they're decimated in defence, decimated in midfield and decimated up front. I don't see how Leeds get anything from this game. Their best bet is to would be to go out and try and spoil the game, similar to what Everton did to Chelsea last night. But Bielsa won't do that. He'll want to go and take the game to Arsenal. And Arsenal, to their credit, are quite good on the counter-attack and do play well through the press. Smith-Rowe, Saka, Odegaard, these people will exploit the space that Leeds leave. I'm going to go 3-1 Arsenal. Yeah, I think the one's probably the doubt there more than anything. Um, I'm giving Rafinha the the benefit of the a free listen. kick, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it'll be one to well, it's one of the only ones to watch this weekend. That's probably the main point. But moving on to Sunday, we start off with Newcastle against Man City. This one's on telly for UK people. Um, yeah, and you went through the Newcastle Liverpool. I'm doing air quotes controversy mm. uh, at the start of the podcast. And that was Liverpool, probably not at the flowing best. It was enough to win and be the better team, clearly. But, I mean, Man City just put seven past Leeds. Um, Bernardo Silva form, was like, I think he picked up a knock, didn't he? But De Bruyne looked back on his best. Yeah. Lara's back to his best. Sterling's been playing well recently. Ford and etc. I mean, this probably be a bigger test for Newcastle, if anything. Obviously, being at uh, St. James might help. But, yeah, what what do you think? I think City are going to absolutely wipe the floor with them. Um, Jao Canseo's back. Ferran Torres is out, but you know he hasn't played a bunch, so they're they're fine. Um, the other fellow suspended. Liam Delap is still out. They're hoping to have Kyle Walker back. They're hoping that Bernardo will be okay. I think it doesn't really matter. I, I think they're going to absolutely wipe the floor with Newcastle. Newcastle are just not a good team. And Newcastle are also missing 
Jamal Lewis, who could now be out for months with a hamstring injury, and Alan St. Maximum, who, oh you know, got the, hurt the last night. <laughs> the, the thing is, he was asking to come off for about seven or eight minutes before Eddie Howe finally took him off. Mm. I really don't understand what was going on with that situation last night. Did Howe not believe that he was injured? Or what was the situation? He was too concerned about Hayden's head injuries. <laughs> yeah, which it, yeah, exactly, which happened like an hour and a half beforehand. I I think Newcastle are are are, are toast. To be honest, Fernandez is out, Lewis is out, Sir Maxim is out. Those three probably be starting for them. I, I think City will have more than enough. Foden's fully fit again. KDB's fully fit again. Mares is fully fit. Sterling's found a bit of form. Gr- even Grealish played well last weekend. Again, I think I expect Grealish to have a decent game this time out as well because he'll have loads of space. Um, Rodri's in great form. Kinsale's in the form of his life. I just don't see how Newcastle get anything from this game. I think City could even have 85% of the ball in this game. I, I think they're going to run away with it. I'm going to go 4-0 to City. Yeah, City clear favourite than that. Moving on to Wolves-Chelsea. Now, this one's probably one to stick with because, I mean, Chelsea, not in great form, and Wolves have shown in recent weeks they're very difficult to beat. Liverpool and City struggling to beat them. Liverpool, last-minute winner, and City, a a dodgy pen, let's be honest. Um, Mm. And Chelsea just, I mean, obviously missing a few people, which you'll go through in a sec, but even when they have full strength, they're just struggling to, I don't know, just link up in attack, just... Bit of a FIFAism, but lack chemistry at the minute. I don't know, just lack of attacking plan at the minute. Yeah, very much so. I mean, look, the, the focus for Thomas Tuchel since taking over has been make, making Chelsea really hard to beat. And it's come at a cost. You know, when, when Tuchel was at Dortmund and when he was at PSG, his teams were very attacking and played great football going forward. He can't really find the balance at Chelsea. They don't have good enough defenders to play a back four. Like, James, not a particularly good defender. Chilwell, not a particularly good defender, though he's out. Alonso, not a good defender at all. So, not really suited to playing as fullbacks. You can't play Silva as a centre-back in a two. Rudiger's not good enough as a, as a centre-back in a two. I don't think Chalaba could play in a two. And I know Aspilicueta can't play in a two. He's got to play fullback if you do that. So, You've got Christensen, and that's about it. So he can't play a back four. He's got to play a back three, which limits the amount of attacking players he can get on the pitch. They've also got an issue in midfield where Saul hasn't worked, and he's come in for a lot of heavy criticism, came on last night and didn't really affect the game in any way. Tuchel hasn't used him properly, and when he has used him, He's just binned him off after half a game, which isn't going to do the lad's confidence any good. He needs a run of games. Simple as that. He needs a run of games to find some form to get himself back in the groove. But, you know, he's playing Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek. It's Jorginho and Kante. It's Jorginho and Kovacic. And maybe the issue in midfield is actually Jorginho. Maybe he's just really hard to play with. I know he had a good mm. run last season, but that was in a midfield three for Italy. His performances for Chelsea, outside of a couple of games in the Champions League, were not good. Not good at all. 
Um, I, I think there's an issue in midfield. And when you play Mason Mount and Hakim Zayic as two of your front three, there's no real pace there. There's nothing... They're, they're quite... Mount is quite a predictable player. He's very, very good at what he does. He's very effective. But he is quite predictable. Pulisic is not a number nine. And Zayic has never really shown himself to be good enough for the Premier League. Now, he had one brilliant moment last night in the game where he created a chance, but that was about it. Um, Kovacic and Havertz, they're hoping to have back for this game. Uh, Kovacic had COVID, and he's been out for an age. He had injury, and then, then he got COVID. So he's been out for seven or eight weeks. They're hoping to have, have him back. Kai, so far, has not tested positive for COVID. They think he might have had the flu. Jorginho's a doubt. Loftus-Cheek is likely to miss out. Lukaku, Werner, Hudson-Odoi, they all have COVID. And Ben Chilwell has a torn ACL. Um, I'd like to see him go to a more attacking lineup, but he just doesn't have the defensive choices. And this is a horrible game for them, because as you said earlier, this Wolves team are really, really hard to beat. Like, really, really hard to break down. City got an absolutely farcical penalty. Liverpool did deserve to beat them. And City, to be fair, deserved to beat them based on the balance of play. It's just that Liverpool scored a legitimate goal and City needed a dodgy penalty. Um, Fabio Silva and Yerson Mascara both have COVID. Now, Mascara is injured anyway. Huang is out with a hamstring injury. Eight Nuri's out with a groin injury. He missed the City game, obviously. That's a big blow because uh, he'd been great. Um, no, he didn't miss the City game. What game did he miss? Who did they play at the weekend? Brighton. He missed the Brighton game midweek. Uh, he played the City game. Uh, Neto working his way back. Johnny Otto working his way back from the longest ACL recovery ever. Raul Jimenez is back, though, so that's a boost. So you'd expect they'll go... Jimenez with either Trinko or Pedence and Adama either side. Moutinho and Neves in midfield. So they'll be able to at least match Chelsea in terms of possession. Semedo and Marcal. Marcal's not great. I could see Reese James having some joy in this game down that side against Marcal. But Unless Chelsea get really good movement in the front three, they're going to struggle. Now, they are better with Havertz as the nine than, than anything else, but, you know, he's not a big-time goal scorer either. Chelsea should win. They're the better team. But based on what I saw last night, based on the fact that it's at Molyneux, I think I'll go nil-nil. Mm. I mean, Chelsea couldn't be... That, that, Genuinely, that Everton team may have been the worst Premier League team I've ever seen. Yes. Yeah, absolutely right up there. Absolutely right up there. Up with that Leeds team from <laughs> two nights before. <laughs> yeah. And But, like, the Chelsea were were really, really poor. Now, they had some decent chances. And, look, if James scores his early chance, if Mason Mount scores his chance in the first half, then it's a different game and they probably go on and win it comfortably. But 
the bottom line is that they didn't. And when those chances didn't go in, they struggled to create many more. And uh, they coughed up a goal only four minutes after scoring, which doesn't speak well uh, to them at all. Indeed. I mean, well, nil-nil for that. Yeah, I can see that. But we'll move on to the last one. I mean, the first question is, do you think this game goes ahead? <laughs> I think this is the one most likely to get called off. Um, so Liverpool have three COVID cases. Curtis Jones, Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho Tavares. Then you've got Spurs. So Emerson, Brian Hill, Son, Skip, Scarlett, Lucas Mora, all out. The last two Spurs games have both been called off because of COVID. The last three games, the, the Rennes game, and then the two Premier League games. So their last three games have been called off because of COVID. Outside of COVID, Regulon and Lacelso and Romero injured for Spurs, Nat Phillips, Divock Origi, Adrian and Harvey Elliott injured for Liverpool. A lot of players missing both sides. I, I have the, the thing is right. I've, I I can understand why this game should be called off, but at the same time, Spurs have already missed out on three games this season: two for COVID, one for snow. Mm. Well, that's what like, I was going to say. What What is the like? If you do not, what is the process? Because if if they've got enough people, which I mean, it must have been two weeks by now, you'd think. It has to be, doesn't it? It's at least it's at least a week and a half. Do do we give? Did is is the process is that we give them time to train and recover? Because I you can't train with COVID. I'm getting like I think Man United, for example, their training ground got shut down. So yeah, has it been the same at Spurs? Do we give them a week to train and get back up to speed? I it seems like a really I don't know. untested and unprepared process, really. It does. It genuinely does. It seems like not enough was put in place for protocols. The other concern is, when are they going to make these games up? Because the second half of the season is fairly slammed as it is. The Premier League can't afford for the season to run over because next season starts early because of the World Cup. There's also that uh, Nations League nonsense in the summer. Oh, so I don't know where the window would be to replay these games. Now, like as it is, they've got three Premier League games to make up and a Europa League game. And there's no time for the Europa League game. So I really don't know what Spurs are going to do. If this one gets called off, I don't know what they're going to do. I also think it's a little bit unfair on other teams if they're having you know this thing to call games off so let's just say Spurs go out in the summer and buy, sorry in January and buy two or three players and then they'll have them when they play the two last teams that they had to cancel against mm. like you know that's not really a fair situation their training ground is back open so Antonio Conte who's one of the best coaches in the world is getting all this extra coaching time with his players that otherwise he wouldn't have had. Now, I'm not in any way accusing Spurs of falsifying tests or anything like that. I'm not saying that for one second, but if you're a club in a little bit of a bad run, which Spurs weren't. Spurs were playing well. They'd won three on the bounce in the Premier League. They were doing well under Conte. 
But if you were Leeds, for example, or Southampton, or Watford, or Everton, wouldn't it cross your mind that maybe we put out a few false COVID tests and maybe we get a couple of games cancelled? And maybe we have a bit of time to just kind of clear our heads and work on a couple of new things. I think there's one or two managers in the league who would do it, personally. I know I'd do it. I'd say if, I, if I'd lost three or four in a row, yep, COVID it is. Hands up, who wants to have COVID, lads? Right, there's your tests. I, I, I think... I, I think, to be fair to Spurs, the game probably should be called off. But I do wonder... Like, they might prefer for it to go ahead, given no Van Dyke, no Fabinho. That's two of Liverpool's four best players. Four or five best players. They might prefer for it to go ahead when Liverpool don't have them. They might want to take their chances. But Spurs have a lot of COVID issues at the minute. I just wonder when those games can be replayed. I suppose if they forfeit Europe, which probably be the case at this stage... They're them. gonna have to, like, they're yeah. gonna have to just give up the ghost on you that. And just I, like the league's one thing, but you're holding up a competition. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I have doubts that this game goes ahead. If it does, I'm gonna say Liverpool win two one. Yeah, I mean Liverpool be obviously favourites, but. It's it's just hard to know with Spurs because you don't know what physical condition they'll be in. You don't know who will be available. It's, it's basically an unknown quantity, isn't it? It very much is. It very much is. You don't know exactly what kind of condition they're going to be in if they have to play this game. So I'll, I'll go to Liverpool 2-1 win. And that's the last one? Yeah, that's it. That is us for today. Thank you, as always, for listening, folks. Enjoy your weekends, and we will see you Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.